I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Drug discovery in the rare disease space is increasingly reliant on collaborations between patient groups, industry, and academia. Charles River Laboratories, the global contract research organization, recently held a symposium in New York City on the need for successful collaborations to advance rare disease drug discovery. Following the symposium, we spoke to Patrick Sweeney, Managing Director of Discovery Sciences at Charles River, about the evolving nature of rare disease collaborations, how that's changing the way researchers work, and why Charles River believes it can play a unique role in facilitating rare disease collaborations. Patrick, thanks for joining us. Uh, Nice to be here. We just finished a day-long conference that Charles River put on about collaborating in the rare disease space. I want to talk about what came out of today. First, maybe you can talk about why does collaboration matter when it comes to drug discovery and drug development in rare diseases? Well, I think the, uh, the paradigm has definitely shifted over the last 10 years where we, we have, we've all sort of gone through those or heard about those stories about that one drug company running that drug itself from very early stages, bench work, all the way through to the clinic, and that's the way it traditionally was. Um, but now I think, and, and what we actually saw today was the fact that you can't do that alone anymore, particularly in this rare disease space. There's so many minds that are required. There's so much creativity that's required um, that you almost invariably have to collaborate and create collaborations and be open to collaboration. And do you see kind of a mind shift in in that regard? Yeah. I I think that um, every speaker we had today was remarkably open. Um, You know, you didn't hear anybody saying, well, I can't show you that for IP reasons or or anything like that. Despite the fact that a lot of them were working on very different um, diseases or sets of diseases, I think that there was kind of a sharing of the best practices and and you can see that being collaborative and being open to collaboration is essentially on on the top of the list for for, for most of these people. It was an interesting group of of people in that many of the models were kind of built to collaborate. They couldn't exist without collaborating. How have you seen that evolve, whether it's patient groups or virtual pharma companies or academic researchers in a consortium? Well, I'll tell you one thing that I have seen and one thing that was apparent from today was that uh, a lot, I would say all of the diseases that we covered, um, they were very well funded. You know, um, everything from Huntington's disease all the way down to, um, you know, the, the Batten disease. They were very well funded. You know, and... Um, that wasn't quite the case 10 or 15 years ago, you know. There had to be a business plan that would be put in place that would make you go after that particular target, of, uh, you know, disease target. But um, so we actually had a lot of people. I think the uh, um, 
the catchphrase that I got from, from this afternoon was that they wanted us to fire all the rockets at once. You know, but that's not, I mean, that was also the case with, with the hunting d- disease people and also the case with several other diseases that, that the, 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 the founders, um, the patient groups behind it were actually having more of a voice in, in how strategically these, these companies or these groups um, the research groups are actually handling that disease, you know? And, and did you get a sense of elements of a successful collaboration? What what are the critical things that make someone successful? Or Yeah, well, I didn't see a whole lot of ego, egos that I would have seen 10 years ago. I mean, I think that might have, might have been apparent to you also. Um, I think that openness to collaborate was what was perhaps the most certainly the most poignant part of the afternoon for me that I noticed when, um, you know, when, when, we, when we have the people from Sanford Institute or we have, you know, the, the, um, the head of innovation for Hemosheer there, that the barriers to collaborate for those companies within their research platforms, they, they didn't exist anymore. They were open to any ideas, you know, and they didn't have to hedge their bets in any way. And I thought that was particularly touching, actually. You know, obviously it's very noble and it's very courageous and, and to a certain extent there's, there's an extreme altruism behind this, um, you know, for, the, for these, these groups, these families, these, these people who are funding these things. But I think that openness to collaborate is a new thing. It's a new theme within, within pharma. And one of the things that struck me is that it wasn't about necessarily bringing a product to market, but really finding a treatment for a disease. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I think that, that was what was... You see what's important to them. You know, this is... Uh, I mean, you can't really knock, uh, let's call it Big Pharma, over the last 20 years, except for the fact that it did become depersonalized somehow. And here you've seen a group of people who have brought that personal aspect back into it. I mean, there's... You know, families with kids suffering from the disease, calling, calling them up in the middle of the night. There's, you know, sharing with with the families of of, 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 of these sufferers of these diseases who, you know, are not going to stop suffering anytime soon, but are are, are you know helping fight that fight. Um, I, I found that some parts of the day were particularly touching, a bit hard. Um, when you hear some of those anecdotes, but uh, I think by and large, we have seen a paradigm shift, and that paradigm shift has gone towards collaboration. It has become more patient-centric. Um, yeah, and I think that there's a, a different way of looking at rare diseases now that wasn't necessarily there uh, a few years ago. By and large, many of these diseases are monogenic diseases. And a couple of presenters who are involved in big genome projects. Is do you, do you see this radically changing the, the landscape for rare diseases? Well, when it's monogenic, obviously it's easier, or it should be easier, to create the animal model for it. Um, we've seen that with, for instance, the R62 in, in, in Huntington's, where you're dealing with one gene. Um, but the diseases themselves have uh, a whole plethora of sequelae that come from that disease that make it very tough to, to, to treat. And, you know, when we're dealing with DMD, what happens if you actually do create something 
that would stop it. But you've already lost all of that muscle in that patient. So how do you replace that? You know, and, and that's the same way with a lot of these diseases. So I, I guess understanding that homogenicity, um, understanding how what strategies to use to overcome that, um, and at the same time as you're thinking about those strategies to overcome it, you're thinking about how to model it also. Um, it should be in some ways easier. Um, but then again, as I said, all of these diseases come with a whole set of, of sequelae. That, um, so as someone who spends a lot of time in discovery around rare diseases, what are the challenges? Where are the bottlenecks? Are they having biomarkers? Are they having animal models? Are they understanding endpoints? What, where do you think the, the biggest challenges are that... So if, we, if you if you if you if you think back to the CHDI presentation um, that uh, Jim Rosinski gave, um, I thought it was quite funny that, that that CHDI takes a step back and still wants to know more about that disease. So they've actually said, okay, look, we're we're developing whatever we can develop to to go towards this, but we still need to understand how this disease is working. And after all this time and all that money spent, that's still, those are fairly, that's a fairly bold move for them to do that, you know, to say we still don't know enough about this, but we're pressing ahead with how to understand the disease first this and foremost. Is Huntington's disease. Huntington's, yeah. Um, and that allows us to develop better models for it, but it also will bring that, that therapeutic advantage at some point, you know. So I think we don't know enough about any of these diseases right now. And, and although, you know, with, with the tools that we're starting to apply, it's quite obvious that we're, we're, we're really gaining a lot of ground in, in how, as to how we understand these diseases. But uh, we're still not quite there yet in, our, in every case. I think you could probably sense that from the, the meeting as well, you know. So where does Charles River fit into this? I mean, I get the sense that you're transitioning from being a traditional CRO to really becoming much more of a pivotal part of rare disease collaborations. Yeah, well, we have to become a partner, you know. Um, CROs traditionally have been relatively, in my view, relatively selfish. And, you know, we will provide a service for a, a price. And, and, and it's been a good business, and Charles River's been probably the best at that. But I think just as we see with these, these new collaborations, uh, these new relationships that academics are building with pharma, that, that pharma is building with foundations, we need to find our place in there, particularly in this rare disease space. And I, I think we're doing that quite, um, I think we're quite adept at doing that, at finding how to facilitate. And when we get into this, this rare disease space, Although it is no different, really, for Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, or, or anything else, as far as I'm concerned. You still need to accommodate these collaborations, you know, so you can't think of it all the time as a fee-for-service issue or an FTE-based pricing strategy. You have to be able to really bring some scientists, science to the table that's going to make a difference, and you also have to be, uh, you know, as nimble as possible. Uh, within that sort of set of collaborations that are going on. You know? and what's the case to make for that? What's the value add you can bring to 
Weird disease. Well, I think that we will have a seat at the table when there is a cure for something. I mean, that if we're, as my, you know, from my own perspective, dealing with CNS for all this time, I'm, there's been a massive amount of failures. Um, I think that the nobility that is inherent within this this chase that we're on here is the fact that we would be part of an eventual cure, you know, and. I can't think of anything better than, than that. One of the things that was also interesting was how people were agnostic about modalities. That they, they didn't care if it was an antibody, gene therapy, a small molecule. What, what kind of arsenal do you have to bring in that regard in, in working across different... So a lot of these, a lot of these, uh, that's a great question actually. So a lot of these, uh, whether they're gene therapies or, uh, you know, a biologic or a small molecule or, or anything, you need to have the skill set on board to be able to administer that. And, you know, if you think about the fact that a lot of these compounds are being administered um, intracerebroventricularly or intrathecally, for some of the antibodies. Um, so you have to have a skill set on board that's going to be able to accommodate all of these new technologies as they come on. And for us, that means how do we administer? Do we go directly to the brain? Do we go directly to a specific brain structure? Do we do it in mice or rats? Do we do it intrathecally? Does it cross the blood-brain barrier? How do we get it to cross the blood-brain barrier? Can we image it? Can we tag it with a, with a marker? That sort of thing. So we bring that part of, 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 you know, that skill set to, to, the, to, to the table. Um, the other parts of the collaboration think up, you know, the, the technology that's behind uh, the, the un underlying um, physiology behind it when we look at how do we target, target things. Um, and, and their overall approach is, is something that's within their philosophy. But we bring those tools to the table to allow them to, to, to bring that to fruition. You know? And in terms of the culture of, of Charles River, does this represent any kind of change in culture? In terms mm -hmm. of no, I think that, that that part of the culture has always been there. Charles River has always been relatively innovative. Um, I think with the advent of discovery services, you know, we're doing it in oncology, we're doing it in metabolics, we're, we're doing it in other areas, we're doing it in early stage discovery, late stage discovery. I, I think that we're really stamping our brand on this discovery space. Now, discovery is different than development. You know, discovery is you're, you're, you're essentially, you know, out there and you're, you're trying to look at new, new pathways, you're trying to look at new models, you're trying to look at the best model for a particular situation. Charles River's always been good at that, you know, and, and from the top down, we have a culture that fosters that. I think now, overall, between ourselves, pharma, biotech, and academia, there's a place for us now within the context of these collaborations. We've proved that with CHDI, we've proved that with the Michael J. Fox Foundation, and we've proved that with a lot of these other, uh, other academic and, and, and foundation collaborators that are within all of these consortia. Um, but no, we, we've always had that part of the culture there, that, 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 that 
allowance for creativity and imagination, innovation. But it's been in a fairly limited space, you know. So you're only you're only as good as the models that you've got. You mentioned CHDI and you mentioned Michael J. Fox. What have you learned from collaborating in that way? Well, those are wide collaborations. I think one of the things that one of the themes within any CHDI presentation, as we, we saw today, was the fact that they're looking for bandwidth. So you're not really always going to be the only group that's proficient to do exactly what you do. There's going to be replication in there. You're going to have to open up and sometimes actually deal with your competitors. And, and that's not always easy, you know, especially for somebody like me who's Irish. Um, you know, but uh, I, I think that, that opening up, understanding what the big picture is, getting all your people on song for that, and, and really making their efforts to collaborate work. And, and like I said, CROs weren't overly adept at that in the past, but I think by and large most of us have become relatively adept at, at, at being able to facilitate that. And that was what I hoped we could show a little bit from, from today. And, and where do you think we are in, in terms of, of rare disease treatments? Well, um, obviously not as far along as we would like to be. Um, but I think we've learned a lot about those diseases, and, and that's very apparent, and that's starting to sort of increase functionally, month to month now. Um, I don't think we're far off from, from, from seeing some therapeutics go forward that will at least prolong life. Um, and, you know, to a certain extent we can see evidence of that, and, and, and say, for instance, uh, muscular dystrophy and, and some other diseases where, where we've been able to prolong life but, but not really necessarily modify the entire disease so that someone would, would, would have a, a regular lifespan. But I think we're on the, on, the, on the verge of that. And I think that one of, the, one of the reasons that you can say that is because when you look around the room like, like, you did, like I did today, you see how serious some of these people are about this. You know, this is their life's work. And, um, you know, I, so I, I think that we're on the cusp of, of some changes. I think we're going to see something move in the next couple of years. Patrick Sweeney, Managing Director of Discovery Sciences for Charles River in Finland. Patrick, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.